The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. We've got a lot coming up on today's program, and I'm going to open today talking about something oh, that may not make you that happy. We all, of course, saw the video over the weekend from those kids who were on that field trip to Washington, D.C. We'll get into that a little bit. I think it's time for all of us to take a collective deep breath. Stay with me. Don't get too mad. Just listen. See if I'm right. And if I'm not, you think I'm wrong, send me a note. You can do that. Also coming up in today's program, we're going to talk about the legal battle that is looming here in Michigan over our congressional lines. Yeah, we thought we settled that at the ballot box for 2022, but there's something coming up that may happen a little sooner than that, and it's not going to be pretty. We'll get into that. And also, I spent some time downtown last night. I've got some thoughts on some new buildings that have come online that I'm pretty excited about. So stay with me for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. We've got a lot coming up. It was uh, MLK Day yesterday, and given what's been going on in Covington, Kentucky, I figured I'd take the day off to reflect a little bit on some of the lessons that Dr. King was trying to teach us. That indeed, all men are created equal, that we all have equal rights, that we all deserve the same sorts of legal protections, that we all deserve the same level of equality. These are things that matter in this country. And I I wanted to speak out about Covington and what was going on there because I've got a real problem with the way that we've addressed this as a society at this point in time. And I think it's indicative of a much larger problem that we have. Now, I will admit when I first saw the videotape over the weekend of the students from Covington uh, Catholic School there, um, and you have, of course, this image of this kid with a very sort of smug look on his face and a MAGA hat, that would be a Make America Great Again hat, obviously showing that he was a Trump supporter, openly looking like he was, of course, mocking a Native American elder and a Vietnam veteran, somebody who was there for Indigenous Peoples Day. And it looked like a confrontation might ensue, and it looked like he was being egged on by some of his classmates. Those things are the first things that popped into my mind. And of course, I went on social media, as I do, and I know most of us do, and people were all over this. Their immediate reaction was visceral, it was angry, it was ticked off. And then, of course, you can then get the equal and opposite reaction from the other side, suggesting that this has been blown out of proportion, and this has been continuing on for the last few days now. Covington School, the school in Covington, is closed today for fear of security, student security, which in itself is ridiculous. Now, there are a whole lot of things about this incident that did trouble me. Like I said, that kid standing in the guy's face with that smile on his face, that smirk on his face, that what looked like a very disrespectful smirk on his face. And, of course, he certainly looked like he was being fueled by his fellow students who were sitting there. So your initial reaction is, this kid obviously doesn't respect other cultures, and the group of kids here are egging him on. That's what it looked like to me. But I wasn't sure that that was the whole story. And I didn't want to react right away. Because it is so easy to react in the moment. When that first bit of emotion hits you about something. And you want to speak out. You want to do something about it. But at the same time, we need to take a step back every once in a while. Because this has been a, a, a social media-fueled phenomenon here. 
And there are important things about that. One, it's important. Social media helps spread the word about injustice around the world, injustice in our own country, in our own towns, very, very quickly. It's led to a wholesale change in thinking about the way we look at uh, the way police treat people, the way that we interact with each other. And some of these incidents that we see that go viral as quickly as they do. Now, I'm not suggesting I wasn't angry when I saw that. I was. But I also knew that I didn't know the full story at this point in time. What led to it? What was going on? Was it just about this elder and was and uh, this older man and this young kid staring each other down and, and trying to diffuse the situation, as the Native American man from Ypsilanti suggested? Or was this something else? It was hard to know in that moment. But the reactions were so fast and so swift and battle lines drawn so quickly that once the counter-narrative comes out, we are unwilling to accept whatever they say because we've already made up our mind because of what we saw there. We don't know what led up to it. We don't know what sort of confrontation there was between the students from Covington High School and the small group of religious people that were there from the organization that apparently were hurling taunts and talking about what they deemed to be the only truth. So what we have here is competing ideas for what the truth is. And that's where we get in trouble. When we are so firmly entrenched in our beliefs that we can't see somebody else's point of view or even willing to listen to it, that's when we get in trouble. And we need to knock that stuff off. I know the temptation is great. I know that we want to sit there and assume that we know exactly what's happening and exactly what's wrong with the world and and exactly what's wrong with these people and demonize an entire school over the behavior of some students on a field trip to Washington, D.C. I'm not sure that's fair to them. At the same time, I know what I felt when I saw that video, but I held back because I didn't have all the facts at this point in time. And I don't think we still have a clear picture of exactly what happened. I'm not sure we ever will. And I certainly do not condone that behavior. It certainly did look like he was taking a mocking tone towards somebody who had obviously served this country and somebody whose family's roots go back in this country way further than anybody else. Now, there are competing stories about whether or not they were chanting, build that wall, when this confrontation was taking place. And if these students were doing that, oh God, the ignorance of history is just mind-boggling when you're talking about build the wall to somebody who's a Native American. The irony is thick there. And if that's what happened, well, that's just stupid kids being stupid kids. And I think that's what a lot of this was, stupid kids being stupid kids. And we've seen that time and time again, a 16-year-old kid being egged on by his classmates or at least emboldened by them. Does that mean this kid's life should be ruined? I don't think it does, but it is a lesson and it is an opportunity to learn. And I'll tell you what, he's learning a lesson right now. Now, he came out, made a statement, said that this is being blown out of proportion, that that was not what he meant to do. Okay, fine. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to ensure that this isn't just sort of a precursor for the rest of your life in terms of the way you feel about other people? I hope. I hope he's doing some introspection and taking a look at his actions, taking a look at his face, and seeing what other people saw, a level of smugness and privilege that, frankly, is really unappealing to look at. The school's reaction was swift. They said the behavior is not what they teach their students, and they could expel some of these students if they found that there was some sort of wrongdoing that was done. And I hope they follow through on that. And if they do determine that indeed some of these students were bad actors in this and were egging them on and maybe saying derogatory things, that they are disciplined in some capacity. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. The fact is, the court of public opinion is already out on these kids. And of course, then the counter-narrative, people suggesting that this gentleman who stood in the way 
was the one that agitated. Other people suggesting that this other group was the ones that agitated. Well, it doesn't matter who agitated. It's how you react to it that matters. There didn't need to be this type of confrontation. We are on a knife's edge right now in this country when it comes to issues of race, when it comes to issues of privilege, when it comes to issues of opportunity. Our partisanship shows in every single interaction that we have. And our swiftness to condemn on social media is only making things worse. And if you look at what is being investigated right now in the Russia investigation, this is exactly the type of sort of triggering social media stuff that is getting us so divided. That's exactly what they've been trying to do. And we buy it. We, we fall for it every single time, every day on Facebook, on Twitter, on whatever. It's an argument. Somebody posts something to get the other side agitated, start that fight. And yes, the adrenaline from these types of political fights can always be fun, but ultimately they are incredibly destructive. We need to calm down. We need to take a deep breath. Let things unfold. See where things go. Because as we were celebrating Martin Luther King Day yesterday, and I spent a good portion of the day driving around doing things uh, for work and, and errands and stuff like that, but WDET, my old station, was playing a number of excerpts throughout the day of various speeches of Martin Luther King Jr. And they were inspiring. They were talking about ways that we could be a better nation, that we could be better people, that we could better interact with each other, respect each other, and move forward as a nation. So I wasn't about to do a podcast yesterday in which I leapt to conclusions about this group of kids on a field trip and their interactions with some other equally charged political people out there. Not everything needs to be a confrontation. But when we do have one, hopefully the people involved in it use it as a learning experience and try to figure out ways that they can improve. That's what I'm hoping we do. But we, as a society, haven't learned a damn thing. We're being played by social media every single day. We're allowing things to trigger us every single day. And I'm not denying that there is injustice in the world. There is a ton of it. But I don't think it's fair to equate these kids to those people we saw marching with the tiki torches down in Charlottesville either. Did they look stupid? Yes. But at the same time, we need to take a step back, look at the facts, wait for them to come in before we condemn entire groups of people or an entire school or an entire community or an entire state like Kentucky. Let's figure out what happened before we do this. And just because one person comes out and makes a statement and says, well, no, that's not what we intended, that doesn't mean that the other side should sit there and say, well, see, it's all good, it's all nothing. Uh, you know, here's no boy crying wolf racism story here. No, there is something going on there. We don't know what it is. But these kids are 16. I'm thinking, just maybe, they're young enough that they might be able to learn something from this and move on with their lives and reflect back on it someday and say, well, that was a really dumb thing to do. Because I guarantee you this kid did not want his 15 minutes of fame to be smiling smugly at a Native American elder who served in Vietnam. That's not the legacy he wants to leave. I guarantee you that. So he has an opportunity right now to take a look at himself and figure out what he wants to do next and how he's going to approach life and how he's going to approach other people. I certainly don't think that any of this was done in a pre-planned manner. I think this is one of those things that just sort of unfolded at the time. That doesn't make it any better. But to suggest that a guy's wearing a Trump hat means that he's being intentionally confrontational, I don't see that either. He's allowed. He's allowed to be a supporter of President Trump. 
And I'll be honest with you, a 16-year-old that's somewhat politically active, even if it's for the other side, is somebody that is actually going to be a more concerned citizen as they grow older. I don't have to like his positions. I do have to respect his right to voice those opinions, to wear them on his sleeve if that's what he wants to do, even if I don't like them. Wearing that hat is not proof that somebody is a racist or that somebody has little respect or no respect for people of different cultures. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Now, the president, I will call out on that all day long because he's the one that is putting the words out there and emboldening some of these folks that really do harbor these these feelings. He's found a way to give them a place where they can do this stuff again. I'm not convinced these 16-year-old kids were that, but I certainly hope that they take a little time to look in the mirror and see how their actions looked and understand why so many people were indeed triggered, and I hate using that word, but why so many people were indeed triggered by that post as soon as they saw it. Because it's, it's a culmination of a lot of different things. We are so ready, so ready to call out the bad actions of the other side that we are willing to forego past practices of verification before we do it. I don't know those kids. I don't know what they're about. But I certainly think that this should give us reason next time to not freak out instantaneously over every little thing. Now, whether you think this is a big thing or a little thing, that's up to you to decide. And I can't tell you what to post. And I can't tell you how you should react to something that you see. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to explain myself. Because I listened to those lessons from MLK yesterday. And I needed to reflect on it and see where we are. And as I said in my post, I'm just hoping that we are still on the right trajectory here. We are being torn apart in a lot of different ways. And incidents like this one do not help. Which is why it's really important for us to not jump on every single little thing. Because after a while, the other side is going to tune it out. And say, well, you know what? It's just more boy crying wolf. The real deal is out there. We see it all the time. We need to pay attention to these far-right groups that are actually out there advocating for things like white supremacy, things people that are advocating for neo-Nazi ideas. We have seen them out and about and out and about recently. I've talked about this on numerous occasions. I've been talking about this for years. Groups like this are being emboldened all the time. So let's make sure that we are going after on social media, in the regular media, the traditional media, those groups that are actually actively out there doing these kinds of things and espousing these views for a lot of people to hear. Because if we do that, then maybe they don't reach these 16-year-old kids. Maybe they don't infect the minds of other people if we can call that stuff out for what it is. Because I do believe, I do like to think we're moving in the right direction. And I do like to think of some of the words of Martin Luther King Jr. here. This is my favorite quote of his. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It's going to take a little longer to bend if we jump on every little thing. Yes, racism is out there, and it will be with us for a long time. That doesn't mean we can't move in the right direction. Do not allow every little thing to set off your compass. Yes, call out injustice when you see it. But remember, we've made a ton of progress from where we were before, If we backslide now and we don't take the high road, then we threaten all of that progress. I don't want to go that route. 
I don't like what these kids did. I think they were pompous. I think they were arrogant. And I think ultimately, they were 16-year-old kids who were acting stupid. And I hope, I hope that they learn something from this. We shall see. But I hope we have learned something as well. That not everything is worth our instant outrage. Let's find out what happened, and then we can take a look at what's going on and address it. Just a few days could have done a lot. Now, maybe it wouldn't have been addressed if there wasn't the immediate uproar on social media. That, that could be the case. But I've had seen a lot of people who said, Hey, sorry about my earlier post. I removed my post from yesterday. I learned a little bit more. Yeah, think about that for just a second. Learn a little bit more, then make your post. Because our quickness to act, our quickness to judge, is something that is ultimately going to tear us apart. We stop seeing the good in each other, and we start seeing only the bad. And that's what leads to division, and that's exactly what people are trying to do to us. This is The Craig Folly Show. We'll be right back. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. And by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. All found at DeadlineDetroit.com. Hey, welcome back to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Tuesday. Uh, Something that I think all of us in Michigan should be keeping a very close eye on is a lawsuit that was filed in federal court about Michigan's uh, so-called gerrymandered congressional and uh, state Senate and state House lines. Now, Michigan was ranked as one of the most gerrymandered states in the nation by a recent analysis by the Citizens Research Council here in Michigan, and that's kind of a big deal. Now, we all, of course, supported, uh, not all of us, but a a sizable majority of Michiganders supported, of course, a ballot initiative that is going to redraw the district lines after the next census. However, this lawsuit that's out there right now could lead to the lines being drawn in time for the 2020 elections rather than 2022. Now, what does that mean? That means a lot. There's a lot that is at stake with this lawsuit. Now, of course, this lawsuit was brought in the last administration, and, of course, uh, Bill Schuette, the then Attorney General, uh, and, of course, uh, the Secretary of State at the time, Ruth Johnson, were going to fight this. They were going to fight uh, against changing these lines or, or having these lines be ruled unconstitutionally gerrymandered. Now, what may happen, though, with the change in administration and Jocelyn Benson taking over as Secretary of State and, of course, Dana Nessel taking over as uh, the Attorney General in Michigan, we may see a much less aggressive defense of the current lines than we were expecting had the Republicans stayed in power. Now, Jocelyn Benson moved last week to settle this looming federal lawsuit on Michigan's gerrymandered districts. Now, what that could mean is if we settle this case and we enter into a consent decree with the federal government the lines would likely be redrawn in time for the 2020 elections. There's a couple of different things that happen. One, all, of course, the congressional seats are up every two years anyway, so they would be redrawn in time for those elections. But it would also mean that certain state senators' terms would be cut short, potentially, by redrawn lines. Now, it could lead to fairer districts, but you have a situation where, basically, you have state senators who could be robbed of a couple of years of their term. Now, the interesting part about this is, is that everybody wants new districts drawn, but in this situation, how would it work? 
the GOP-led legislature would get the first crack at drawing the maps if we have a consent decree and the settlement goes through. That's what likely would happen. Now, you could also have a judicial panel that could weigh in on the new lines that are drawn. But basically, any settlement that they enter into is going to have to include a number of the people on the side who have joined the fight against the lawsuit. So the Republicans in power right now in the state Senate and the state House would likely have a say in how these lines are going to be drawn and whether or not Michigan decides to enter into this settlement. So this is going to be a huge legal battle, huge legal battle that's going to take place over this. I'm just going to watch the court proceedings and very closely because I think this is important. If indeed our lines are drawn in such a way that they are unconstitutionally gerrymandered, as was ruled in places like Pennsylvania and North Carolina, then we should indeed draw the lines as soon as possible. Make sure that we don't have another election in which voters don't necessarily have an opportunity uh, for any semblance of, of possibility of victory. If the lines are drawn in a way that favors one party over the other, uh, that's not necessarily fair regardless of what district you live in. Now, again, this lawsuit was filed back in 2017, and it's now going before the courts. So, again, Ruth Johnson was going to actively contest this suit, and now it looks like Jocelyn Benson wants to settle it and enter into an agreement, which would lead to lines being done a lot sooner. This is not something that the Republicans are just going to take sitting down, because they have the risk of losing a bunch of seats a couple of years before they expected to. And given the fact that we have a presidential election coming up in 2020, that is going to be as nasty as any presidential race we've ever seen if Donald Trump is still in office at that point in time, which I expect he will be potentially, then this is going to be a really, really ugly election potentially for Republicans across the board. They are not going to give up easily. And I don't blame them. If I was in their camp, I would be doing the exact same thing. So the question is, if we enter into a federal decree... What's the likelihood that we will have lines that are drawn in a fair manner? What's the likelihood that we will not just be in the same boat we are right now? So what is going to happen here is going to be fascinating, fascinating to watch. So whatever bipartisan spirit of cooperation we have right now in Lansing is going to be severely, severely tested as a result of this lawsuit about Michigan's political district lines. I'm personally in favor of getting this done sooner rather than later. When you looked at the extremely partisan nature of the way the process was done last time and some of the emails that were floating around from the people that were involved in the process, you had some strategists, Republican strategists, talking about cramming what they said, quote, cram damn garbage into a handful of congressional districts. That gives you an idea of how seriously they took this in terms of wanting to be fair and wanting to have competitive districts. They don't. Now, the Senate leadership, Mike Shirky's team so far has been noncommittal about this. They've said basically, yeah, we're going to see, uh, we're going to review this development and we'll find out what options we have here. And the Secretary of State's office has yet to comment on this one because the terms of this consent agreement and the settlement uh, have yet to be determined. So we don't know what it's going to look like. But again, the state is getting ready to redo this whole process anyway after the next census. So we're going to have new districts probably by 2022, regardless of how this happens. But if indeed Michigan's districts are unfair now, should we not want to reconcile that now? But the problem is the entrenched interests that are there are not going to give up without a fight. So while you may hear that uh, Secretary of State Benson wants to enter into this consent agreement and settle this case, it's not going to be as simple as that. There will be a lot of lawsuits. There will be a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of opposition to this notion.
Now, you've already got people suggesting that this is something that the Democrats are trying to do to rig the next election in favor of them. It's being called a quote-unquote corrupt bargain to benefit Democratic donors. But at the same time, Jocelyn Benson, before she even announced she was running for Secretary of State, has been on this issue for a long time. So this isn't something that she's doing right now. But she does have the power. She was elected to this position to make this determination as to whether or not this is the direction the state should go in. But it's going to be interesting to see how this gets handled and what this does to any sort of sense of cooperation here in the state. Because as they always say, and especially when it comes to drawing congressional lines, to the victors belong the spoils. That's the way the system always worked in Michigan until now. We are getting ready to change it now and draw fairer districts. But that's not going to be till the 2022 election. We may have new districts before then, and I don't know how this is going to unfold and how it's going to shake out, but I'll tell you what, this is something I'm going to be watching very, very carefully, and you should be as well. Because we always talk about wanting to be uh, represented fairly in Congress and to make sure that everybody's voice is heard. Well, one of the surest ways to do that is to make sure that the congressional lines are drawn in a way that you get the best candidates and that everybody's got a shake and that there's not a predetermined outcome outside of you know, the advantages that incumbency brings or the advantages that name recognition brings. Those are natural things. But drawing the lines in such a way in which certain parties are favored or expected to win, regardless of who the candidate is, that's not something that anybody should want. It has given an advantage to the Republicans for the last several years. The Democrats had the advantage before that when they were in control of the process. So if we're going to figure out how this is going to work in 2022, well, maybe we should give it a shot now. I'll be interested to see how much opposition the Republicans decide to put up in here. I don't blame them for doing it. At the same time, it's not necessarily that good a look if it seems like they're standing in the way of something. Because why would they fight so hard to protect a system that has been deemed unfair? Or maybe we should just let this one go to the courts and let the federal courts decide whether or not this is something we need to do. And not enter into an easy settlement. That would be something that we would have to abide by. But what's the time frame on that and when's it going to get done? So this is a battle that is uh, just starting to brew here that we need to pay very, very close attention to here in the state of Michigan because gerrymandering is something that we spoke very loudly about in the last election. And I think the powers that be in Lansing right now, it would behoove them to pay attention to the fact that the voters thought that the current system was unfair by big numbers. So if you stand in the way of that, even if it is a little bit early, there could be political hell to pay but it may be worth it for two more years in the majority for the Republicans. I hope that's not the calculation they make, but it certainly seems that we're destined to find that out pretty soon, and that's the direction they're leaning. 2020 or 2022? I'm leaning for 2020, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. This is going to be long, protracted, and ugly fight here in Michigan, and we'll all be getting the popcorn and taking a look. Stay with me. I do so appreciate the fact that you're checking out the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thanks for being with me on this Tuesday. And I want to wrap up the show today talking about something that I was really excited about yesterday. I was downtown last night, uh, and the new Element Hotel opened up in the Metropolitan Building. 
Now, granted, in most cities, this wouldn't be that big a deal. However, this was the Metropolitan Building. This building has been vacant for 38 years. 38 years. Think about that. Next to it, of course, is the newly opened Siren Hotel, which is in the old Wurlitzer Building. Now, you may recall that the Wurlitzer Building was also vacant for a long, long time. In fact, if you were at 1515 Broadway, that little coffee shop performance space that's right there on Broadway, they used to have a sign right next to it that said, a free cup of coffee for anybody who buys the Wurlitzer Building. That was the sense of fatalism around that structure just a few years ago. Not to mention, you have the new Shinola Hotel, which just opened up right across the alleyway there, right across the street on John R. from the, uh, the new Metropolitan Building and, and the Element Hotel there. So what just a few months ago was a dead space in downtown Detroit, somewhere nestled between the Opera House and Woodward, you now have three hotels that are open, brand spanking new, waiting for customers and getting them. I was in the Shinola Hotel just last weekend, and it was so packed you couldn't even move around in there. People just checking it out. They were booked. The restaurant was going well. The Element in its first night had 13 guests, but they're expected to be at full capacity for what's available right now uh, by the basically the next few days. The Siren Hotel has been selling well as well and doing well, and a number of people hanging out in that lobby, just hanging out, being a part of it. An entire section of downtown that was left for dead and left to rot has been redone by a number of different groups. Their faith in this community, their ability to put the financing together to rescue these buildings that that most people had left for dead is remarkable and something that should be commended. Now, we have a lot of stories about two Detroits and yes, downtown's getting all the development. Well, guess what? Downtowns do need to thrive. You need people visiting your city. You need people pumping revenue into the city of Detroit. You need hotels generating that stuff because the more hotel space you have, the more conventions you can bring to your community. The more visitors you bring in, the more revenue you have for other projects around the community. It's a really simple formula. So I was f- floored at, uh, at the job that was done in this building. It looks beautiful. It's a welcome addition. And now you went from a spot that was basically a dead spot that is now going to be filled with people all year long. People who are visiting, people who are contributing, people who are enjoying the community and what it has to offer. So it's one of those things that, you know, you hear all these different stories about what's going on in the neighborhoods versus what's going on downtown. We need all of it to work. But the level of faith downtown, where no building is really left for dead as much as they were just a few years ago, the changing mindset about what can be what can be saved, and the amazing restoration jobs that are being done. There's nothing being done on the cheap here in terms of, you know, putting up drop ceilings the way they used to in some of these buildings or new facades. These things are being restored to their former beauty. We finally have an appreciation for the wonderful architecture that we have in this community. It's becoming a tourist cell. That's a huge deal. So I was just really excited last night to see that, to be a part of it, and just to spend a few minutes in there taking a look around and seeing what is happening in that neighborhood. Three new hotels, all within a block of each other. It wasn't that long ago that that entire block of Woodward was a couple of wig shops that had been closed down and boarded up storefronts. Empty buildings, now being restored, being utilized. It's the ultimate form of recycling, And it's also the ultimate show of respect for the architects and the people that came before us that built these magnificent structures, that we are preserving them, saving them, and allowing people to see them and be a part of it. It made me happy yesterday, 
And I just wanted to end on that note. I was happy last night. I'm happy today. It's nice to see this stuff happening, and there's a bunch more on the horizon that we will be checking out as well. So yes, I am optimistic about a lot of things down here, and I'm happy to see it happening. So congratulations to everybody involved in the Element, uh, the Siren, the Shinola, and all the other projects that are underway right now in Detroit. Bring it on. We need more of it. We need as much of it as we can get, because we're not there yet. But I certainly think we're trending in the right direction, and that's always the goal. Thanks for checking out the show today. I'm Craig. I'll be back tomorrow. There's always a lot of stuff to talk about. I really do appreciate it. Do me a favor. If you like this program, subscribe to it on any of the podcast providers that you use because we're there in just about every single one of them. Also, find us on Deadline Detroit each and every day. It's right there. I've got my own page. You can see my name at the top. Check out some of the other great work that's being done there. But do me a favor. I don't have a giant marketing budget at this point in time. Tell your friends we're here. Let them know that we're talking about stuff that you care about and we're talking about stuff that's happening here in Detroit and around the region. Your support is crucial to keeping this going, making sure that you have options for programming. I want to create some other stuff for you as well, not just with me, but with other people who are going to be involved. Some neat stuff that highlights things that are happening in your world and that impact you on a regular basis. That's what we're trying to do, and your support of this helps make that happen. Don't forget, send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com if you've got suggestions or ideas on how we can improve this. I would love to hear them. So stay tuned. Tomorrow, got a bunch of cool stuff. Mark Evan Jackson is going to be joining me on the program tomorrow as long as my technical stuff works properly, which I think it will. He's got a great show coming up at the Fillmore this week and, of course, a wonderful uh, veteran of the improv scene here in Detroit and a number of other great projects that he's been involved in. A funny guy, neat guy. Looking forward to talking to him tomorrow, and I hope you join me for the next Craig Folly show here on Deadline Detroit. Have a fantastic Tuesday. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.